Greenhouse gases, carbon emissions, trading and net zero. All major implications when you're operating in the international shipping space. And this week, we're going to take the opportunity to revisit this topic. Hello, lovely, loyal Freight Up listener. This is producer Neil. Fernanda and the team are taking a well-earned summer break, and I'm in no position to offer any kind of insight around the world of freight and commodities trading. I'm only about six weeks into it. So instead, I'm going to lean into that well-known podcasting trope, an episode recast. Many, many episodes back, Kerry Dill and this podcast's previous host, Chris Hudson, sat down with Andrew Glass. Now, he's the head of sales and partnerships for Viridius Capital. They discussed the firm's working carbon offsets and the emissions offset markets. So, I thought I'd dust off the episode. And if you're one of our new listeners, this is a great chance for you to hear the conversation for the first time. If you've been with us through our previous podcast iterations, it'll act as a great reminder of what's in store for the industry. Okay, so for those who want to kind of quantify the market, this is something which started in 1997, the Coyote Protocol, where the IMO was told to address greenhouse gases coming from international shipping. And to give a context to how large that is, if you look at the fourth IMO greenhouse gas report, you can see that in 2018, global shipping emissions have increased from 977 million tonnes in 2012 to just over a billion tonnes in 2018. And then to put that into context of global emissions outside of shipping as a percentage of 2018 world emissions, shipping was 2.89% of the 36.5 billion tonnes globally emitted. Some good news, though. Just for context of what's happening, efficiency has increased, although we've had more shipping, more product moved. And in that 2020 report, we were actually at 90% of 2008 levels. But that's been predicted to rise to 130% by 2050, and something which is going to have to be dealt with. So, Chris started by asking Andrew to talk about carbon emissions trading. And he asked, if someone has no idea about what this market is, how do people trade it, why do they use it, and what are we looking for when pricing elements of it? Look, I mean, at the end of the day, the first and foremost thing that we need to put out there is that it's a matter of addressing your carbon footprint within your own operations, your own logistics, your own operations, to make sure you are tracking towards preferably a commitment that you've made. We're seeing many companies making commitments for net zero to varying degrees, 2030, 2040, 2050, and tracking that evolution. Most industries, most companies are not able to get rid of all of the carbon emissions within their business and infrastructure. As an adjunct to addressing your own emissions and reducing carbon footprint, that's where the voluntary carbon market comes in. And the carbon markets, our interest really is in price transparency around the voluntary carbon markets. And this is part of something which we had a brief discussion before we started this podcast talking about. This is not kind of end game of it. Oh, I've done my carbon emissions. That's, that's it. This is part and parcel of a much wider program of technological development, decarbonizing generally, uh, as well as using emissions, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, this is, as we said earlier, it's an adjunct. If you were to continue to operate as usual, for example, and continue to emit the same amount of carbon and do nothing and think that you can turn around and use the voluntary carbon market, the offsets market, to neutralize your footprint, you'll be sorely mistaken and you will suffer significantly 
um, in the marketplace, whether it be investors, um, stakeholders, NGOs, will call you out for greenwashing. I use a simple numerical example. If you're emitting 100 units of carbon today, you track yourself through to a commitment of net zero by 2040, for argument's sake. You have like 18 years to get that down. You, you have a program to get that down. You're unlikely to get to net zero. If you still have a residual of 25 units at the end of that time, you will need to look at the offset market to mitigate that. And that's a very diverse market. It's been in the voluntary carbon market. The, the problem statement to which Gridius Capital addresses is the lack of transparency in that market. Um, it's very opaque. Most transactions are OTC, bilateral, under NDA. So it's very hard to understand what the market's actually worth, make a budget and make your planning. We've looked at that and we've developed AI technology to effectively learn the taxonomy and the valuation of those markets. So we're about to release in partnership with Platts, probably likely to be six indexes, which are going to give a whole new level of transparency to the voluntary carbon market for participants. Your AI technology obviously allows you to originate such structures. So with these indices, do you see this being a part of a more standardized potential market for these products? Or uh, do you see this being sort of a more bespoke basis ongoing in, in terms of what you're doing through Verdias? I mean, knowing your guys' history and also many of your listeners in the commodity space, you'll probably be happy to hear that we, we envisage, and most of you will have experienced the evolution of different markets. You start really with OTC, bilateral, opaque, and they're a vested interest in maintaining that in many commodity markets. But as time erodes and time evol- and, and we evolve as a marketplace, transparency in price is extremely important to commoditize the market. And that means we can bring more diverse participation in the market, more price discovery. You then can harness the power of capital markets to get into finance. They can hold it as an asset on the balance sheet if there's an independent market on which to value it. So it changes the game as far as we should probably call it a game, but it changes the, the whole ecosystem and the landscape with that kind of transparency. And this has happened faster than any other commodity market that I've ever been involved in, and I'm sure most of you. And because it's new and it's broad, we're able to harness the opportunity that technology brings us because we're not constricted by all of the structures that already exist in many other commodity markets, which is exciting. Exactly. And, and one of the things I've always seen as perhaps a weakness of the emission offset markets is this enforced regionalization of those markets. This technology, I think one of the things that's so exciting about it is that it sort of holds out the prospect for perhaps a more globally adopted and valued product in the space. Would you agree? Yeah, look, I totally agree. And what, to, to add on to that, the EUA market is pure carbon. When we look at the voluntary carbon market, it's highly diverse. Every single project is different. A lot of the transactions have been around renewable, which is offsetting coal, it's offsetting diesel. So it's, 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 got a, it's got a benefit. But now technology has flowed into the renewable space where the cost of renewables to be established as far as power generation is now below the cost of a new coal-fired power plant. So the market's done its job to incentivize for capital flow to move to there and for innovation to drive the price down. We're currently seeing that with sequestered carbon technology. Um, a lot of money flowing into it and capital to drive price down. But in between sits where I think really the, the real opportunity is, is within the voluntary carbon space, is nature-based solutions. We need to think more about sequestering carbon. And if we do that through nature-based solutions, and they be soil, they be forestry, in a whole range of different kinds of forestry, 
that sequestration also brings a diverse contribution to your ESG profile because each one of those projects, if you think about a forest in Kalimantan, which you protect from logging, for example, you're often mm -hmm. supporting an indigenous, indigenous community within that zone. You're supporting biodiversity within that zone. You're also potentially putting in a school to support the, the community. So there's, you tick off a whole lot of the sustainable development goals that were established a little over five years ago by the uh, UN and World Bank. The value of those to a company, particularly in the commodity space, where they're normally not bad, if we think about ESG, they're normally not too bad on society, they're normally not too bad on governance, they often fall down in the environmental space. So if they're going to buy offsets to complement their own actions to reduce carbon, we're seeing a lot more interest and attention being driven towards those nature-based offsets because of the ESG profile attached to each one of them. But as you said, the market sort of has done its job in terms of incentivizing the creation of new technologies. In fact, it's done its job to the point where to, to cycle back to the shipping market, for example, we are having discussion of everything from green ammonia to, to even things like nuclear reactor powered ship engines, <laughs> these new molten salt reactors, which are, are really being legitimately discussed as a, as a potential power source, uh, a carbon-free power source moving forward and, and potentially introduced. So do you see this as necessarily a time-limited product in terms of voluntary offsets? And, and is that a problem or is that just the market doing its job? No, look, I don't think they're going away. I think they're only accelerating in their contribution to our commitments to net zero, both for countries and companies' commitments to net zero. What it does do, and this is a great thing we believe with price transparency, we all come from commodity markets and, and, and financial markets at Viridius. And the way we look at it is price transparency is pretty much going to drive price one way. We're seeing exponential commitments to the net zero, which infers a significant increase in demand for offsets as the adjunct to your own activities. Now, if price goes up, which we fully expect it to, I mean, at the moment, nature-based solutions are, say, $10, even you can get some cheaper than $10, while the EUA market is trading it, to keep it in dollar terms, about 70 US. I mean, the gap between the two is, is ridiculous. And there's no SDGs or ESG attached to that EUA market. So while they're not fungible, in freight terms, it's like sort of talking about tanker rate versus a cape rate, right? I mean, it's, it's freight, but it's not fungible. But we see that the gap is far too great. So we expect global companies particularly to move more to the nature base. Now, if the price goes up, and this is where it becomes even more important, price goes up, transparency is there, you can then budget on whether you need to use offsets or you're going to accelerate your own decarbonisation. Because if you have to spend $100 to offset, that's a hell of an incentive to really turbo inject your own uh, decarbonisation as best you can. So the, the relative value of going down ammonia fuel, which you mentioned, green hydrogen, LNG, and have technology flood to that solution or that problem statement, it's all part of the same ecosystem. But it, we believe it hinges heavily on price transparency. I was going to say that the biggest step forward would be the allowance of, of essentially fungibility in these markets, wouldn't it? Yeah, ab um, absolutely. Other markets will accept carbon offsets from the voluntary carbon space, right? So it'll be, we, we have to wait and see where China goes on this, but they're keeping a very close eye on the evolution of the market. But it, it, again, being able to harness the power of capital markets in the voluntary carbon market space with that transparency will allow other jurisdictions to look at it differently to the way the EUA has, as the EU has looked at backing the EUA market as the only ticket. Yeah. And the, the EUA market obviously will affect people who are 
outside of Europe as well coming in and 2000 of shipping emissions in the EU came from extra EU voyages that's well, exporting exactly. or importing and no surprise there the 60% of EU trade is without outside of the trading <laughs> bloc the majority being container ships uh, yeah. on that so this is definitely going to be something which is going to impact more and more people when this legislation comes in for, for shipping as such a, a global industry. I mean, it reminds me of the old George Bush quote, most of our exports come from overseas. But uh, look, the, the, and the other thing too is, is this marketplace is constantly evolving as highly dynamic. So it's very exciting to be involved in, right? So it's a great challenge for people to get their head around and get a feel for, right? So I thoroughly encourage it. I'm passionate about it. We're all, all of us who are in it are passionate about it. But the thing too is don't try and – the freight market should also be very wary of trying to do things like the old days of biodiesel and splash and dash and, and play games around it because the EU is on top of that, as are other markets. Yeah. So you can't actually think you're going to take a cargo of soybeans from Brazil, drop into a port in Morocco, chuck a couple of beans off, and then only pay for them, right? I mean, it's not going to happen. Same yeah. thing with your ballast leg. You can't think you're going to go and you know, make a close port call outside of the EU and chuck something on and, and call out your ballast leg dump. Well, that's it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening once again. And as always, if you like to, you can go visit our website, FreightUpPodcast.com. That's FreightUpPodcast.com. Go check out the show notes, listen to some old episodes, or let us know what you think of the show. We always love feedback and we look forward to it. Fernanda and the team will be back with you next week. In the meantime, please do follow us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. Until next week.